Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma crew. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Mind Your Own Karma, the Adoption Chronicles. And today I thought I would do something a little different. Today I am turning the tables on myself and I pulled a random interview question document that I believe I used for Dana Ozak recently. Um, and I used these questions for her interview. And I thought, what would happen if I asked myself the questions that I ask the people that I interview? I know I've told my adoption story just like a little bit here and there throughout the episodes, but I've never told it in one full episode. So I thought, you know, I get to know you guys and I'm going to give you a chance to get to know me a little bit more and get to know about my adoption story. So let me tell you a little bit more about Melissa Brunetti. Melissa was born in the Baby Scoop era in 1968. She was placed in a loving adoptive home on June 10th of 1968 after almost two and a half months in foster care. At age 18, she found paperwork stating that her birth mother had had some health issues that were possibly genetic. This information brought up a lot of questions in Melissa, and she wondered if her mother was even still alive and what her diagnosis actually was. Fast forward five years, Melissa is now married and wanting to start a family, and these questions were still running around in her mind. But in California, she had no way to know what happened to her birth mother. One day, just by happenstance, she was able to find someone to help her find her biological family. She was able to get her questions answered. But along the way, as many reunions do, there's a lot of twists and turns dead ends, and U-turns. Here is my adoption story. It's kind of weird to welcome myself to my own podcast episode, but welcome to myself. Um, I really didn't look at these questions ahead of time, so I don't even know which ones they are. A lot of them I, you know, usually bring up in every episode pretty much, but some of them I kind of tailor to the guest, so I'm not sure what actually is going to come up here. So let's just dive right in to what do I know about why I was put up for adoption? So what I know is that my birth mother was in the Bay Area in California and had dated my birth father for two years while they were in high school and um, part into college age. So they were about 19 when my mother became pregnant with me. And at that time, my dad, my birth dad was somewhere in boot camp, I believe. And as soon as she found out she was pregnant with me, she sent him a letter. And the plan was that they were to get married. So he came home on emergency leave to marry my birth mother. And they went to Reno Nevada, I believe, to get married, but because they weren't 21 at the time, they needed parental consent. And they did not have that, especially from my birth father's parents, because from what my birth mother tells me, he and his family 
his family basically planted little seeds in his brain. How do you know this is your child and this is going to ruin your life and on and on and on like that. So planted some seeds in my father's head that this wasn't going to be a good choice for him to get tied down with my birth mother and a brand new baby. But apparently before those seeds got sown, they came back from Reno telling everyone that they had gotten married when they really hadn't. And the only people that knew that they had not gotten married was my birth grandparents on my maternal side. They knew. So my dad flies back to boot camp wherever he was stationed and eventually sends a letter to my mother saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have any part of this. I don't want to marry you. And my birth mother was very confused by all of this and very thrown by it. And at the same time, she was um, taking care of her very sick mother who ended up passing away while she was pregnant with me. And when that happened, my birth mother really had nobody to help her. And her her father told her that he wasn't going to help her. He had already married another woman within months of his wife passing and was starting a new life. And he wasn't going to help her. She was a college student. She didn't have a sustainable job, if a job at all, I'm not really sure. So she didn't want to give me away. And I think she kind of was hoping that things would work out with my birth father in the end, and that they would live happily ever after and she wouldn't have to make this decision. But as the days drew closer to me being born, I believe that she kind of started coming to grips with it, but still was hoping for some kind of miracle to happen. I was born on March 22nd, 1968 in San Francisco. And my mother still birth mother did not want to sign the papers right away. She was still trying to figure out a way to keep me. And so therefore I went into foster care at that time The story goes that she would come and visit me and then I would go back to my foster family and back and forth, back and forth like that for two months. And I believe on May 23rd of 1968, she finally signed relinquishment papers. She had finally gotten some closure with my birth father and realized that this was just not happening and had made the hard decision that this was what was best for everyone. So from May 23rd, when they signed, when she signed the adoption papers, I wasn't placed until June 10th. So I was still in the foster care system for another couple of weeks for some reason. I'm not sure why it took so long for them to place me. But that's what happened. So on June 10th, I was placed with my adoptive family. So that is the why I was put up for adoption. So the next question is, why did your adoptive parents decide to adopt? And my adoptive parents decided to adopt because they already had a son who was four and a half years old. And my mother was advised not to have any more children that it just wasn't going to be a good thing for her. 
So they decided to adopt. They did want more children. Plus they wanted a girl. So that was another reason to adopt just to be assured that they got a girl. So they'd have a boy and a girl. So it wasn't that they couldn't have any children. It was just medically not advised for them to have more children. The next question is, what was it like growing up and did you feel different? I really was lucky. I know we hate that word, but I really was lucky in the family that I got placed with. You know, adoptive people were told that we were chosen and the conversations that we have in private with each other is we were not chosen. We were the next one up for adoption. We were the next one that was ready to be relinquished to a family that wanted or needed a child. I have heard of some circumstances where somebody was chosen out of, say, six babies and they chose one, which even is worse I think because it's like going to the grocery store and choosing that cabbage patch doll off the shelf. Which one is the cutest? Which one do we want? Oh, look at this one and look at that one. And oh, I don't like that one's got red hair or whatever. I don't want that one. So that I think is worse than being the next one up. But either way, it's both both uh, scenarios are not ideal. So in a way, it is a lottery on who you get you could get anyone. So I was lucky to get the parents and the family that I did. And my family never makes me feel any different. They don't ever bring up that I was adopted. They don't say anything about it. They don't act any different towards me. Um, I feel more Italian than I do Danish, Scottish, German, which is mostly what's in my DNA, apparently. And I don't have even 1% of Italian in me, but that's what I grew up um, knowing and experiencing. And I just love that culture. Did I feel different? I did, even though my family never brought that to me or on me. I always felt different. I'm not really sure if I knew exactly why I felt different, but the genetic mirroring wasn't there. So I always felt weird when someone would say, oh, you look just like so-and-so in your family. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to get into, oh, well, that can't be true because I'm adopted. You just kind of laugh it off and just keep going because nobody wants to talk about that stuff. So those little things that you can't, skirt around, you have to confront those things, always would come up. And it was uncomfortable for me sometimes. But back then, the narrative that everybody followed was, you know, don't ask, don't tell, basically. And then it just didn't happen. So everything is normal and not any different than any biological family out there. But no matter how inclusive your uh, adoptive family is, you do still feel different. There's just really no way around that. And it's nothing that nobody did or didn't do. It's just a fact of being adopted. That's just the way it is. The next question is, did you have siblings in your adoptive family and were they adopted too? So I kind of already answered that. They, my adoptive parents already had a son that was biological. Then they got me and that was it. It was just the two of us. So um, just me and my brother. 
The next question is, looking back, do you see adoption shaping you as a child and a teenager? And in what ways did you see that? So yeah, I did. Although, like I said, I didn't realize that it was because I was adopted. But I've talked about kind of how terrified I was as a child of being like taken away from my adoptive parents or that they were going to abandon me uh, in certain scenarios. So that was a thing. And um, attachment was difficult for me. I wanted it badly. But then when it started to come to fruition, especially as a teenager and dating, it scared me to death. I did not know why it did that. I wasn't, I wasn't making the correlation to adoption. Now I can, but so it's like that thing that you want so badly, but it's too scary to have because you might lose it. I didn't make that correlation that that's why I was scared of it. The other thing is I had super, super low self-esteem. I was not outgoing at all. Always kind of felt like the outsider of things. I had a few close, close friends that, you know, I'm still close with today, but I just didn't fit in with everyone. I couldn't find my people per se, like in high school and things like that. And I'm sure every high schooler, whether adopted or not, has kind of those same feelings, a lot of them. So I'm sure it could just be normal teenage stuff, but I feel like the attachment stuff is definitely from being adopted. The next question is, how did you handle romantic relationships? And I kind of talked about that just now how the thing that you want so badly scares you so much that you end up pushing it away. That was kind of my MO for a long time. And then when I finally met the guy that I married, it became a very unhealthy attachment where I clung on so tight and didn't want to let go, even though there were red flags everywhere. I wasn't going to let this person go. So a lot of extremes, just kind of depending on where I was in life and what my maturity level was at that time, a lot of flip-flopping of being scared and letting go and then just clinging on for dear life, pretty much. And I think a lot of adoptees have had that similar experience as well. So I feel like I am in good company there. At the time, I just was like, this is weird, and I'm weird, and something's wrong with me, probably. But now it's it's totally understandable to me now. The next question is, sometimes we are in survival mode and don't even realize it because as adoptees, we have been in survival mode since the day of relinquishment. Were you in survival mode? And what did that look like as you got older? Survival mode meant to conform to what I was supposed to do and be. What was expected of me next was what was going to happen. There was no consulting myself on what I wanted to do. Or how did something feel to me? Did it feel right? That was not a question that was allowed to be asked. And it wasn't something that 
someone said to me, it was implied because again, I didn't want to feel abandoned. I didn't like people not to like me. I didn't want to feel disappointment because that could mean something bigger. So survival mode was me losing myself and my authenticity and being the biggest award-winning actress in my own life's biography. I gave the pen to everyone else to write my story. And I didn't know I could write my own story. I didn't know that. That sounds so ludicrous and crazy to me saying it now. Like, it's such common sense to me now. But back then it was, you're 21, you get married. Two years later, you have a son. Two years later, you have a daughter. You work full time, you buy the house, you have the dog, the whole cookie cutter family scenario. There was no asking me what I wanted. It was, this was just what comes next. And I didn't know that I was living in survival mode. I thought I was doing a great job because everyone was just so happy with everything I was doing. I was doing everything right, but I was feeling horrible. So if I was doing everything right, why do I feel like shit? And the longer everything went along, the longer I allowed someone else to write my story, the more depressed I got. And I developed panic attacks and anxiety, which was not in my nature at all. I was always very in control of my emotions and feelings. And at least I thought I was, but I was really repressing everything that was going to show any authenticity or I repressed anything that was going to go out of the, you know, I wasn't going to color out of the lines. That was not going to happen, but that's what needed to happen. And so it was causing dis-ease in my body and showing up as panic. And I felt like I was losing control of the control that I had of myself. And I didn't understand what was happening. I was doing everything right. Why is this happening to me? Why is God punishing me like this? You know, you can only deny yourself of your true essence for so long because the universe cares about you and they care that you have a purpose and they care that you're happy. So they are going to raise these red flags and the warning lights are going to go off like crazy because you're not doing, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You feel like you are, but you're not. You're supposed to be doing what you were made to do. Not what everyone else is doing. But what I wanted to do may have caused some ripples in relationships. And I was too scared to do that. So that is how survival mode showed up for me in my adult life. Next question is, did you search for your biological parents? If so, how did you find them? 
So after I was 18 and found out my birth mother had some maybe genetic things going on, that was always in the back of my mind, but I didn't know how to search. We didn't have the internet back in 1986 when I was 18. And even after I got married and wanted to have children and really was seeking out a way to find my birth parents, because in one of the one of the correspondence from my birth mother's doctor was in my medical file at my doctor's office. And I asked to get my file so I could look at through it. And I'm sitting in the doctor's office. I remember this. I'm sitting there holding my, this huge record of papers of my entire medical history for 18 years or 20, maybe it was by that time, 22 years. And there was a piece of paper in there from my birth mother's doctor and it had her name in it, but her name was very common. So, and I knew where, what area that the doctor was from. So I was pulling from the phone books back then. I don't remember making any phone calls. I don't think I did. And I'm not sure if my ex-husband made any or not, but we just couldn't find her. We couldn't find her. And somehow, I don't know if it was a newspaper article or something of these ladies called the Snoop Sisters that were helping adoptees find their biological parents back in the early 90s. So we contacted these two ladies, super nice ladies. I'm telling you, I don't know what connections they had, but within like a couple of weeks, they had gotten a copy of my original birth certificate and gave it to me and were like, found my birth mother. And I still to this day don't know how they did that. They wouldn't tell me. They were very thoughtful and asked if I would like them to contact her, which at the time, I didn't know that, you know, she was open to to knowing me, I didn't know anything. So I said, yes, could you please contact her? And of course, my birth mother was really wanting to um, get in touch with me. I know now that a lot of the Search Angel Facebook page groups kind of discourage that because they say that might be your only contact that you ever get to have, especially if your birth family doesn't want to get to know you. And so they say that it's probably best that you do the contacting. But I felt for me that it was best that these ladies made the contact. And at the time, I still really wasn't in touch with everything I was feeling about being adopted and that I didn't have rights to all these things that I should have had rights to. And so I was still kind of in that people pleasing mode where, oh, I don't want to step on any toes. So, you know, you contact her and see if she even wants to know me. So that's kind of why I made that decision. I was still in that mode of not trying to rock the boat, not trying to get anybody angry or stepping on anybody's toes. So that's how I found my birth mother. And then through her, I was able to get my birth father's name. And she told me a little bit about his family. So me and my ex kind of cooked up this scheme to call up his father or his parents' house. I don't know how we got their number. Somehow we got their phone number. 
And my ex pretended like he was a buddy from Vietnam and that he knew my dad and he wanted to get in contact with him. And of course, my birth grandfather was just like, sure, here's his number, you know, just gave it to us. And we were just kind of sitting there with this number, like, what are we going to do now? You know, we're just kind of laughing. And so, again, these ladies, the Snoop sisters, they were my contact um, that found my birth mother. Uh, We gave her the number and she was happy to make that phone call for me as well. And so both sides were willing to want to know me, which I wasn't really sure about my birth father after I talked to my birth mother and found out that he was having questions of whether I was even biologically his daughter. But he graciously met me one time. We met once. We corresponded through mail a little bit for a few years. And then for some reason, he just kind of ghosted me all of a sudden um, after I had my second child. So probably about two years we corresponded. He ghosted me. I never heard from him since. And he ended up passing away in 2016, I want to say. So not a lot of relationship there. Uh, He was very much on the surface, very nice and jovial and, you know, a nice guy, but didn't want the the vibe was we're not talking about what happened back then. I never got to discuss any of that with him. He was open about having that I had two sister half sisters was open about them. And he said that they had they did know about me. And so that's kind of how that went with him. And my birth mother, it was kind of very much a roller coaster. She was very open to having a relationship at first and wanting more out of it than I was giving her apparently is what it seemed like. So the reunion was very disappointing for her. Her expectations were not being met there. So in the end, there was a lot of ups and downs, a lot of like starting and stopping and then coming back and apologizing and then starting again. And finally there was just a letter saying she couldn't do it anymore. That if I had medical questions, she was there to answer those. But otherwise, basically, she couldn't have any other type of relationship. So not sure exactly what happened, because it always seemed like at when the point where I thought things were going well, she didn't. And so for me, I felt like I'm putting my best foot forward. I'm showing you who I am. And it's still not good enough is how it felt to me. So yeah, for it wasn't working out really for both of us. Although there's times where I still feel like I want to reach out again and see if we can repair somewhat something, get something out of it for each other. She's 75 now. And recently I sent her a happy birthday email. It's been what? Almost two months. And I haven't heard a response from her. It was very generic. I didn't get into a lot of, you know, I basically happy birthday and not have not heard from her. After talking and interviewing a couple of birth mothers, I have a lot of compassion for her. I, I don't have anger about it. 
I have compassion. I can't imagine what she's going through or we even went through. She has often said that giving me up for adoption was the hardest thing she's ever done. So I have to have compassion for that. And hearing these other birth mother stories, I just, and being a mother myself, I can't imagine driving away after you've signed relinquishment papers, knowing that you probably would never see your child ever again. And you have no idea who your child is going to go to, who is going to raise your child. You just, you don't know. And I can't imagine that. And living with that until they're 18 or older, until you can finally try and search and you don't even know if they even knew, know they're adopted. There's just so much, even for the birth mother. And so I'm not, I'm not angry about it. I wish it was different, but there's, there's no anger there. There's just compassion, really. So I kind of just um, answered the next question. How did the reunion go? And are you still in contact with them? So reunion didn't go well. And no, I am still not in contact with them. <laughs> um, do I have biological siblings? And how is that relationship? I do. I have two half brothers from my biological mother. I have two biological sisters from my biological dad. And, you know, us adoptees get so tired of like biological and adoptive and having to label everything. It's so convoluted. But anyway, so yes, I have uh, four half siblings and the relationship with them. I have a relationship with one of my brothers. The other one, I don't really, I don't know why we don't have a relationship. He was little. He was like seven when I met him. And I just remember one time him asking me why I didn't call his mom, why I didn't call her mom. And it was just very awkward. I don't even remember what I said in that moment. Um, but kind of ever since then, I think he was just kind of confused about the whole thing and we didn't grow up together. So I get it. Uh, my other brother, yes, he's there whenever I call and need him or want to ask him something uh, or need help with something. He's always there. My two biological sisters, the same, they are close. So I could see them at any time. And even though, you know, I don't look like any of them. So that's kind of like that thing that you always want to look like somebody, you know, I, I do feel like I'm a combination of my parents, but um, I don't look like my siblings. I don't think at all. So that was kind of disheartening a little bit. There is some mirroring there with like spirituality stuff. And um, I can just kind of see some similarities and personalities and things like that. So that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I, I have relationships with three out of the four. The next question, do you use the word the fog? And if so, were you in it? Are you still in it? And what made you come out of it? So yeah, the fog was me shrouding myself from my own authenticity and not allowing myself to look outside of that fog. So I'm not in it anymore. Definitely not. When I was in my early 40s. So gosh, it's been 14, 15, almost 15 years now that I just can't do it anymore. And it was a life or death really situation for me. I felt like I was going to die if I did not 
start being the person that I was supposed to be. And I just broke out of the fog. I literally just broke out. (laughs) I just stopped all my anxiety and depression medications, cold turkey. I wasn't supposed to. I was just sick of it. I was sick of feeling sick. And so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not in it. I still feel like there's little wisps of it once in a while that I don't realize because if I realize it, I just want to nip it. Um, so yeah, what made me come out was I literally felt like I was dying. I was literally going to die if I didn't come out of the fog. Didn't want to, but I'm so glad that I did. The next question was, do you think we can heal from the primal wound? And I answered that a couple of weeks ago when I uh, interviewed Regina, a girl that I am in the somatic mindful guided imagery class with. And definitely, yes, you can heal from the primal wound. I mean, that, I still have a scar, but it's just a reminder. I don't feel the wound anymore. I really don't feel it. And I know there's still layers to go and I can feel the layers being peeled away with going and journeying through SMGI. Um, SMGI is a, a meditative hypnosis that consults your subconscious brain and all the answers to your desires, all the answers to your hurts, all the answers to the wounds and the pains that you're having in your body are connected to something that can be healed. I didn't know this until about a couple months ago. I started this class hoping that this was the answer for a lot of adoptees. And until I started experiencing it for myself, I still didn't know. But I can honestly say personally for me, yes, I have been healing myself from the primal wound. Definitely. Next question. What has helped you personally in dealing with your adoption trauma? Well, learning how to be authentic, learning how to be who I was designed to be in this lifetime. That is what is going to make you happy. When you try and live in somebody else's box, you are just trying to push your way out. You're, you're always fighting against the walls that are containing you because you shouldn't have any walls. You should be a free flowing being in this lifetime that is living a life that you love because you are doing exactly what you were made to do in this lifetime. There are so many adoptees that are scared of who they really are. They don't know who they are. They don't know what's going to happen when I open that Pandora's box. Am I going to like this person? I don't even know what my favorite color is. I don't know what my favorite food is. Where do I even begin? The great thing that I have found with SMGI is your subconscious knows what needs to come up for you next. It is not going to bring up anything that you are not able to handle in this moment. It knows what needs to come next. You don't have to worry about it. All you have to do is listen to your subconscious 
and follow those breadcrumbs to who you really are and to that life that you want to live. So in a nutshell, what has personally helped me deal with my adoption trauma is being authentic, being my authentic self. And there's many combinations to finding that sweet spot. Everybody's different. So that's why I love having all these different options. There's EMDR, there's SMGI, there's talk therapy, there's psychedelics, if that's your thing. There's adoptee support groups, so many things that can help you just start exploring and seeing what works for you and what feels good for you. The last question is, what would you like struggling adoptees to know? There is so much I want struggling adoptees to know. I want them to know that there is a community out there that is so supportive. Seek out these communities. It's such a great feeling to be able to say things unfiltered. Society has really put adoption into this really colorful box. And there's a lot of ugly things that have happened to adoptees and they don't feel safe talking about that ugly stuff. And in these communities, you can do that. That's huge to be able to unload that burden and have people that understand. The other thing is seek out your combination, your healing combination. And during that process, be compassionate to yourself. There's a lot of hurting adoptees out there, but there can be beauty on the other side of pain. There can be healing and there can be a place where you can help the next person behind you that is going through exactly the same thing that you're going through. I have a sticky note that sits in front of me that says, I did not crawl through the shards of my own brokenness to live a mediocre life. I prepared for magic and I have prepared for magic. And part of that is helping other adoptees through my shards, my own brokenness. If I can help somebody else, even if it's just saying, I understand what you're saying. I validate what you're saying. So huge. That validation is so needed. And that's what you'll get in that adoptee community. It's pretty amazing. So what do I want to say to struggling adoptees? There is hope for you. There is hope for you to live the life you were made to live, which in turn is a life that you are going to love. And going through adoption trauma and coming out of the fog can be like peeling an onion and each layer can sting your eyes and cause a lot of emotions to come up. But I'm here for every layer of that. The adoptee community is here with you as you are peeling each layer and feeling those raw emotions that come up. You're not alone. 
That's what I want you to know. Now, at this point, I usually have my guests talk about what they're up to and their websites and all that great stuff. So, you know, I am the host of the Mind Your Own Karma, the Adoption Chronicles podcast, where I interview adoptees, anyone in the triad, therapists, anyone that knows anything that can help adoptees and the constellation. My podcast is on every major platform. So please like, subscribe, share, leave a review. All of those things help get the word out about this podcast and help educate the world. I also have a website, mindyourownkarma.com if you need to know more about me and my story and the podcast. You can also contact me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com if you are interested in being a guest on the show, telling your story. There is someone out there wanting and needing to hear your adoption story. Someone out there that needs to hear that someone else is going through the exact same thing and having the exact same feelings. Huge validation. Someone's out there waiting to hear your story. So contact me if you are ready to tell it. If you are at all interested in somatic mindful guided imagery, I do 20 minute discovery calls for free. If you are interested in finding out more about SMGI. I am also on Facebook and Instagram, mind your own karma. So find me there as well. I hope I helped validate someone out there with my story. And I hope that it encouraged others to tell theirs. This is how we get the word out about what really happens with adoption. Thank you for listening to my story today. And as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time.